This is Q on CBC Radio 1 across Canada, Sirius Satellite Radio across North America, from PRI, Public Radio International in the United States, and on Bull Television. We'll take a listen to this. Well, a redneck nerd in a bowling shirt was a guzzling Lone Star beer. Talking religion and a politics for all the world to hear. They ought to send you back to Russia, boy, or New York City one. You just want to doodle a Christian girl and you kill God's only son. I said, has it occurred to you, you nerd, that that's not very nice? Would you believe it was Santa Claus that killed Jesus Christ? You know, you don't look Jewish, he said, near as I could figure. I had you lamp for a slightly anemic, well-dressed country... He started into shouting and spitting on the floor, Lord, they ain't making Jews like Jesus anymore. Well, there you go. That's a taste of musician, humorist, novelist, and politician, Kinky Friedman, with one of his best-known songs, They Ain't Making Jews Like Jesus Anymore, a tune which presents Kinky beating up a drunken racist at one point. I think it's fictional, but you never know with Kinky Friedman. Born in Chicago to Jewish parents, but raised in Texas, Kinky first gained notoriety in the 1970s for his irreverent, often satirical take on American culture with his band, the Texas Jew Boys. Kinky Friedman's music career would see him open for Bob Dylan, perform on SNL, and record the only PBS Austin City Limits show to be deemed so offensive that it never made it to broadcast. In the 1980s, he turned his attention to both writing and politics, beginning with a successful series of detective novels and moving on to nonfiction. Kinky's prolific literary output, 29 books and counting, includes travel logs, etiquette guides, and essay collections. He's also renowned for his political activism and his well-publicized political aspirations, which include running for both Justice of the Peace and Governor of Texas. It should suffice to say that Kinky Friedman, still outspoken in his late 60s, is more than ever a member of that rare breed, an American original. He recently performed at a benefit for Toronto's Koffler Center of the Arts. And I'm pleased to have Kinky Friedman joining me live in Studio Q today. Hello, sir. No, Jean, hold the, hold the wedding a little bit. I'm, I'm not in my late 60s. That's You're not? not. No, I'm, I'm still I'm in my mid-60s. All right. I'm uh, too young for Medicare, too old for women to care. <laughs> yeah. Mid-60s. Right. right. Not that it has, you know. It's a terrible, that's a, that's a terrible well, place to be in that gap between those two things. Well, Bob, Bob Dylan is now going to be uh, 70, yeah. you know, the, this month. That's right. Um, Mid-60s is still young. Well, when man. is his birthday? You, you should know this. Somebody should know this. <laughs> Someone we can well, find that out. Somebody yeah. who cares can. Yeah. I only have two. I'm only interested in two areas. Two areas of interest. Libya and Charlie Sheen. Those are the only two areas. But but Bob is going to be 70, but he writes at the 72-year-old level. You know, they told me that uh, I've I've been told for weeks about you that that I I think I've done my preparation for this interview, but that it doesn't really matter because uh, you would you would be a fantastic interview no matter what. You just you just bring it. You just have things to say. I could ask you about anything. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, (laughs) that that's the difference between a musician and a politician. May 24th, 1941. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. There you go. Uh, It's a big year for him. Yeah. 70. And yeah. now, uh, Willie, of course, was just 78, and um, 
That's, which is just amazing. And uh, he, um, of course, Willie gave me some good advice before the campaign, which maybe I can share with you. Okay. He said, if you're going to have sex with an animal, always make it a horse. Because that way, if things don't work out, at least you know you have a ride home. <laughs> Willie Nelson shared that with you. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> Willie's advice to me getting into politics. Uh, uh, <laughs> you, you know, uh, let me ask you first of all about Texas. Because being, being Jewish and being Texan are central to who you are. From the outside, Texas is seen often as this bastion of traditional values, yet it's also this place that gives rise to a lot of eccentrics and originals. So how, how do you make that connection? Well, I'm often called the only good thing that ever came out of Texas, but uh, Texas is uh, – that's not true. Texans are – it's a bipolar state. I think you're accurate, yeah. And uh, so it's got – it does – have a lot of independent spirit, and somehow that doesn't translate to uh, to politics very well. Do you think of it when you think of Texas? Do you think of it as a conservative place? No. You don't? No, I don't. I think of it as a, a real place that should, should resist uh, political correctness. Um, it's got some real flaws. One of them is the death penalty. I'm always speaking against the death penalty to... Um, because we're whacking somebody every couple of weeks, and we're getting it wrong a lot of the time. The system is basically just broken. And when you have somebody on death row 23, 24 years, and you don't DNA them, you know, you don't DNA death row? What the hell? I mean, we're the... So, so I just tell the Christians that... Um, um, that... We can eliminate this, or we can just leave this dead air. It's kind of nice, actually. It's refreshing. It's very peaceful. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you tell the Christians? T- too young for uh, Medicare. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I tell the Christians with a death penalty that um, I apologize to them and tell them I'm sorry that you that you have to hear this from a Jew, but remember, folks, that's who you heard it from the first time, <laughs> and. I'm convinced if Texas got rid of the death penalty, the world would stand up and cheer for Texas, that it would be transformational for the state. You think that's one of the major uh, reasons yeah, why we see Texas back. as what it yeah, is? Yeah, that, that's a biggie. It's a real black mark. Steve Earle was here uh, oh, Steve a few Earle's days ago. A big, yeah, he's a big militant uh, for against the death penalty. Proud Texan and against the death penalty, yeah. The problem that I think we have is that um, getting into politics, which I was in 2006 when I ran for governor as an independent, uh, I supported, uh, of course, I was anti-death penalty. I was pro-choice. I was, I supported gay marriage, saying uh, they have um, every right to be just as miserable as the rest of us. And I was for prayer in school hmm. because I said, what is wrong with kids believing in something? And I contend now, looking back on it, that there is not another politician in the land that supported gay marriage Right. And was pro-choice and supported prayer in school. Well, you're a difficult guy to pin down because I was looking at the things you believe in just, just like that. And you don't naturally fall into any one of those two categories, either a, a left-wing sort of progressive liberal on, on all issues or a right-wing conservative. Do you think of yourself as ideologically aligned with one side or another? No, I think of the two parties as the Crips and the blood. And I think that they are the bullies of the playground and that that they are the same guy admiring himself in the mirror, basically. That's that's what we have in America, anyway. And so you got Obama doing this health care deal, 
And yeah, I mean, the Republican stance on health care is uh, don't get sick. And, uh, and Obama's is he wants a bowling trophy to, you know, to show I got health care. I did it. Seven presidents tried. I was able a bowling and, trophy. Yeah. Yeah. He, 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 he's not, not looking for the best. I mean, almost anybody thinking about this realizes what a mess this is going to be. I, I think it is. You don't think it's an accomplishment that he got the health care? No, no. I think it was rammed through in a very offensive way. Um, that didn't have to happen, you know, that uh, that could have been, uh, I mean, there were, there were Republicans that could have accommodated and, and come up with something that made sense that people understood. And right now, I just think, you know, if you get really sick, you might as well, well buy yourself a toe tag. You know, you're not going to be seeing any doctor easily. So you know, let me let me ask you come back. I mean, to... I basically basically think the idea of having that kind of health care is a good idea. But I just think uh, how it was accomplished, and what it, I, I don't see it as a winner. More and more, it looks like it's going to be a loser. You do believe in the kind of socialized he- health care that we have in Canada? Do I believe in magic? Do I? Uh, it can be magic at times. Well, I don't know much about the Canadian system. People say it works. So, you know, if it works, great. It's I got mean, its I'm, issues, but we, we, we're proud of it the big overall. Problem, yeah. Jean, the big problem I have is that this is not one of my areas of interest which are limited to two at the moment, as you know, <laughs> Libya and Charlie Sheen. <laughs> right. Well, maybe we can get to Libya and Charlie Sheen and, and, and other contemporary issues because I, I want to hear you out on, on some stuff. But first, I want to get some more background on you because you first gained fame as a musician in the 70s. And this is combining your music with a subversive sense of humor. Tell me about what the impetus was for you to start. What, what was happening in the 70s that started you off as a, a satirist? Well, I don't know. Bob Dylan told me that he he got into music basically to get laid in the beginning, you know. And, uh, of course, I got into music because of people like Bob Dylan, you know. And I thought, boy, these guys are really expressing the truth, you know, and that's what I want to do. So that was why I got in, I, I suppose. And also I think music is a very high calling. It's a pure craft. Decent people mm. for the most part. And they're also creative, uh, creative solutions to things. Did you see your subversive, uh, satirical lyrics, whatever we might, we might call them? Do you, did you see them as political, or do you, did you always see yourself as an entertainer? Well, I'm, both. I like to say that the Texas Jew Boys were a country band with a social conscience. And I wondered why, since I've written a bunch of songs that Willie is now recording on a, on a record, um, I wondered why the good songs, the nice ones, Never were able to, you know, weren't recorded by people. And part of it was they ain't making Jews like Jesus anymore and uh, proud to be an a-hole from El Paso, I guess. And get your biscuits in the oven and your buns in the bed and those sort of songs did not. uh, In other words, once people know you, once they categorize you, then you're pretty well finished. I mean, I think it's, I think we have a real, uh, the other real problem we have, I don't know if you do, but. Um, in America, we've got uh, the people are very apathetic about, and they should be, about politics and about. They the, should be the, apathetic. Yeah, they should be. The whole culture is ADHD, too. I mean, we're Hollywood. There will not be another Gary Cooper or another hero, a movie mm. star anymore. You know, there are big movie stars, but they last about three minutes or they're just could be anybody. I mean, the Internet has probably 
played into that, where the audience has become the show. Okay, you're saying a number of things I've got to pick up on. One, it's one of very them, complex and difficult to follow. <laughs> also, yeah. Well, one of them is, I see, I don't believe that you believe in apathy. No, no, I fought, I fought apathy. I mean, uh, running for governor as an independent, I was the first one since Sam Houston, 165 years, to even get on the ballot. Hmm. And I won 13% of the vote, or about 600,000 votes, which in a smaller state would have, uh, would have won it. But only 26% of the people voted, you see, which, which will kill an independent every time. Hmm. And uh, looking back on it, just uh, the things I said about politicians were very, very bad. I was very hard on them. And some people said, you, know, you shouldn't, you know, there's, some of them are good. And, and I'm really thinking none of them are very good, uh, that they're a different breed of people, like, you know, bankers. I mean, bankers, some of them are, yeah, some are nice. But they haven't changed since Woody Guthrie's day. They're still the banksters. They really are. And uh, politicians are charming people. And the rest of us, you and me, we're their abused spouse. They come around every four years, you know, and say, I really love you, baby. And and they're, my theory is they were hall monitors when they were kids. <laughs> and they're control addicts. Hmm. And they grow up groomed within the system. And... Um, and that's why I, I mean, we have to have term limits. And I've suggested two terms, one in office and one in prison. But Al Franken uh, didn't grow up in, in in that system. And Jesse Ventura did and Ronald Reagan didn't. Or just, none of those guys did, right? I mean, there are people who come from from, from all over the political spectrum from, from different places than well, Franken, just a, uh, Franken is a... Well, Franken is a comedian who was never funny. Okay, that's <laughs> one thing. And another was it was a pretty corrupt election that he won in the first place. And, uh, I mean, he's not somebody that young children want to be when they grow up. So uh, now Reagan, I disagreed with Reagan the whole time he was president and all that. And I've come to respect him late in the game, you know, that I in the same way as I see Churchill or FDR, both were aristocrats, by the way, real aristocrats. Mm. But they were men of the people. They were, which is one of my main knocks against Obama. He can't be what he's not. He's a good candidate. You don't think he's a man of the people? No. Oh, no. Oh, no. He's not really. He, but, do, he doesn't have the chops. Uh, if, if, you know, if he is, he sure needs more practice. I mean, he's a man of Martha's Vineyard. You know, he's a man of Harvard Law Instructor. And he's. But he, he seems to definitely resonate with the masses. Of, no, uh, no, I, no, no. There's tricks. I mean, a lot of people did that. Mussolini did that. That's not, we're not, you know. Mussolini. He, but yeah, you're not yeah, comparing he, Obama, he Obama to Mussolini. No, I'm just saying he resonated with the people, if that's what <laughs> right. you think. Listen, let me explain something to you, Jean, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, give you a little quick political lesson. Okay. The crowd always picks Barabbas. The crowd always shouts, kill Jesus, free Barabbas. That's what they did. And it's been downhill since then. And if you'll notice, it's been a couple thousand years, and uh, we haven't heard a lot from Barabbas, have we? I mean, he doesn't call, he doesn't write, he, he has never saved a soul, never won a football game, and, uh, and of course, Jesus, just Google Jesus, you know, and see where, where it gets you. Not so, done as badly. Yeah, so you know, Jesus has done much better than Barabbas, and the crowd was wrong on that one. Okay. And they're usually wrong with their choice. So the majority is almost always wrong. No, this is... And, and the other thing is, I guess, is that we expected some inspiration from Obama, maybe inspires you. But um, he, he, and I'm not singling him out because all these bastards, and I'm talking about American politicians, mm. there isn't one person in there that you, there's not one Winston Churchill. Well, Ann Richards used to have a little bit of that. Former I think Governor Bill Clinton's Texas. got a little bit of it. Uh, Reagan, I think, had a touch of it. 
But I don't think there's anybody in Washington now that seems to, uh, you know, these guys really fit my definition of politics, poly meaning more than one, and ticks being blood-sucking parasites. Yeah, you know, you said something a few minutes ago. You said once you get typecast, you said you're pretty well finished. Was that a suggestion that, and you were talking about how people see you as just this uh, subversive, satirical musician guy. Do you, was that a suggestion that you think people get you wrong, that they don't see all of what you are or can be? Well, no, no. I think that in Texas, I'm a, a, a folk hero, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. People at airports stop me all the time, hundreds of them, saying they voted for me, they voted for me, they voted for me. And they're all pathological liars, I guess. I would have been governor if that many people had voted for me. But... Blessed is the match that kindles the flame. You know, I mean, I think we inspired a lot of people with that campaign doing something differently. Um, no, what I was referring to was the enemy, the other team, uh, the Republicans and the Democrats, would say, uh, this is a comedian. This is a humorist. This person doesn't take this seriously. You know? right. uh, even though I had the most well-thought-out plans, you know, it wouldn't matter for education or for whatever the hell we were talking about. Um, it is a little shame to... To be a part of a—I mean, it, it's shameful to be the seventh-largest economy in the world. We might have fallen to the eighth-largest. Oh, Texas, one state, and and yet we're 49th in education and 50th in health care coverage for children. I mean, that that's not a good record. But uh, And you didn't run for the Democrats? I did recently, the last time, and it was uh-huh. a very big mistake. Yeah. It was a mistake. Yeah. I'd, I'd failed to see the— the primary system, how it works. And first of all, the Democrats are still pissed at me for running as an independent last time. So they took that out of me. And I've, I, I, people that vote in primaries are purists. I found that out much too late. They don't even want to win. Hmm. I mean, if you're some crazy anarchist radical, but you're a good Republican, we'll vote for you. Even if, I mean, I was explaining to them, I've got all the independents. I've got about 20, 25 percent of the Republicans who will switch over and vote for us this time. And the Democrats have a horrible track record in Texas since we lost. And I mean, being bugled to Jesus Ann Richards, Barbara Jordan and Molly Ivins, three women who really had more balls than any male politician that's come along. They were great. That's when the Democrats, you know, they, they had this core of populism. They stood up for the people. Hmm. That's what I like to see. And you don't see that now. You really don't. You see a pale reflection of the other party. What do you wish Obama was doing now? Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be that hard on the guy. I mean, they, they did this Bin Laden deal. That's fine. Although I still have some suspicion that if Obama was locked up in that place for six years or whatever they say, with two wives and six children, maybe maybe it was suicide. Well, but they say that— That's kind uh, of a joke, actually. <laughs> just wasn't I, got, I got the wasn't joke. I was fun. trying to move past it for yeah. your sake. Okay. The, the, but the, they say that Obama's popularity ratings have skyrocketed. No, since they, well, of course they are. They're, you know, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm telling you, you um, I think the—you know, and, and by and large, I'm ready to go—this was a feather in his cap. This was a good thing that this is not the Nobel Peace Prize or something like that. I'm just— Looking at the, I think he's handled a lot of things, a lot of foreign policy with a kind of a uh, um, foreign policy by ego, maybe, or government by ego. What did you? And I I look at Libya, which is one of my areas of interest. That that has been classically that has classically empowered every dictator in the world. The way this has gone. I mean, if 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 you're going to say get out of here, I want you out of this studio, and a guy defies you 
and you let him off the hook and he's and he lives which Gaddafi will uh, he'll be he, he's already a hero I mean and Assad and others are watching this you think that uh, the, Iran the, is watching the it. US should have been tougher and, and uh, no I don't think you have to I don't think first that you tell him we, we're not coming after you where there won't be no I mean some the, the pollsters that he has told him a lot of people don't want us to be in Libya so right. be sure and say, already involved in a couple hey, Obama, of Obama be yeah. sure and say no American boots on the ground so he did he said it just repeated it again and again all right, fine. So that tips the guy off. Then you give him 10 days of shock and awe, and suddenly you take your ball and you go home, and leaving millions of people in the lurch, kind of, and uh, uh, throwing the thing over to uh, inept NATO, at least, uh, who, I mean, uh, uh, Tim, uh, what's the photographer, Tim Hetherington? Mm-hmm. Uh, his, his last tweet was four words, no sign of NATO. Um, so... I mean, you know, I mean, you have choices of people that you that you like and don't like. I, I guess there's only one area that I really don't agree with Obama. I mean, I, I think he can grow into it and become somebody. I want him to be the kind of leader that he was as a candidate. That, you know, basically, that's put simply. I, I think as far as Israel is concerned, he, and I, of course, am the king of the Jews in Texas. and I happen to be a Red Sea pedestrian, and I think— that uh, there are a lot of anti-Israel people on the far left of this country, and Obama has a lot of them surrounding him. And it's not what's bad for Israel or good for Israel. It's dangerous for a little country like that. It it truly empowers the bad guys everywhere. You don't think Obama has shown enough support for Israel? I think Israel knows. They're, they're not stupid. I mean, I think they know where this guy stands. And where does he stand? He stands a little apart from Israel. A little, he's not really a... He, he's, I don't think he's demonstrated he's a real ally. He's visited, by the way, every Arab country in the Middle East. In fact, every country in the Middle East except Israel. But uh, I don't know how warm a reception he's getting there. He's just, I, I mean, there's, I think, American Jews should think about it before they vote for Obama on that point. That's all. That's, that's not the only thing he's done. You know, I mean, he's, Jesus, look, he won the Nobel uh, Peace Prize. I, Certainly deserve that one. I'm, I'm trying to think of some good stuff he's done. You, know, you want to count the health care? Yes. Bin Laden, too. That's good. The, uh, I, I think his heart's in the right place. Yes. I'm not, I don't think he's a bad guy. When you say he's... Um, uh, well, he, he inspires you, John. Yeah, that's good. He does inspire me. He does. That's well, I, but I mean, part of it is who he is inspires you, me. You Canadians are easily inspired. It's not just Canada that he inspires. No, I mean, the whole world no, seems no, no, to no, 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 find no. him an inspirational character. No, no, no. no. I think you've, no. Got, you've, you've got the wrong uh, word there. I don't, think, I don't think he's demonstrated himself to be a strong leader. And I don't think uh, uh, he's demonstrated himself to be an inspirational leader. I just, and I, I don't think, he, unless he develops something, he he's not a natural man of the people. He's got to learn how to, you know, I mean, how to be one. It's uh, funny when you said you liked him when he was campaigning. I don't know if you saw the White House Correspondents' Dinner and Seth Meyers. No. One of his jokes was, President Obama, you would have loved the guy who ran. <laughs> you would have loved the version of you that that, that ran. Well, that's uh, all I'm saying. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I mean, it, it's it's true of all the, the, the it's true of all those guys. I mean, they're just. How many inspirational figures can you name that are alive in politics? I say none. You know, I mean, Bill Clinton, okay, but he's out of office. So one that I think is kind of inspirational, that I really admire. And and you're saying 
You have a few, so that's good. You're you're maybe either more naive or more uh, trusting than I am. I saw Obama. I was in Germany when he spoke in Berlin and um and on in the campaign before the before he became president that summer, where there was two hundred thousand people in in Berlin, and I've never felt something so uh, seldom so so riveting in terms of the the way he was resonating with the people. Yeah, I don't think it's him. I think there's more to this. I, I think he's a mixed race president who is very appealing to many of us, mm-hmm. and uh, including my dad, who has gone to Moses 10 years ago, but he would have liked Obama, I think, and um, uh, because he's been a, a Democrat his whole life. He's been a liberal Democrat. He's fought for civil rights. And when you see that what America has done, that we've been able to do this, that's good. And that really resonates with the Germans, by the way, because they, it's interesting. Today, they you know, only it's the old folks still tie their shoes with little Nazis, you know. But most of the young folks in Germany are very pro-American, very progressive. Yes. And that's what they're cheering about. They have, they have, don't have anything from Obama to, to really be inspired by him. You know, they see that. I mean, he is a symbol. Can you get that? Of he, course he's a symbol. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. He's a symbol because, I mean, if he was some white kid with big ears that came from Harvard, this guy wouldn't have gotten 12 votes. I mean, he came at the right time. You think he got, he got votes because he's black? No, I think that had a lot to do with it. Sure it did. Huh. Of course it did. Of course it did. And his people were well aware of that. David Oxrod and those guys know this. Because all of my liberal friends said, I'm for Obama, but he'll never make it. That's my guy is Obama, but he'll never win. That was when he was running against Hillary. Yeah. You know? Nobody thought. But his guys knew a little secret. Once you get over that little tipping point, everybody's going to want to vote for the guy. Nobody's going to want to be a bigot. And even the bigots like to show that they're not really bigots. All right. Well, we might disagree on you know, Obama. This whole conversation is tedious. You know what I mean? It's a, <laughs> and it doesn't involve Libby or Charlie Sheen. It You're two areas that Libby you want. Libby or Charlie Sheen or, or even Billy Bob Thornton. So, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's not going to get me invited to the White House, I can tell you that. But, okay, I'm just one of the things I'm, I'm curious about when we talk about the, the, what happened with uh, the, the death, the killing of, uh, of, of bin Laden. Uh, the reaction in the United States. How did you feel about the, this outpouring we saw people – cheering at the White House, etc. Uh, how did you feel about ma- making the death an occasion for national pride? Philadelphia Flyers game, people were you know, screaming, USA, USA. I'll tell you, that I had a strange reaction to it, a little unseemly, I thought. It reminded me of, um, of the Old Testament, which I'm sure you're an Old Testament scholar like me. But, uh, but there's a, uh, the story of uh, after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, parted, and uh, and and now the Egyptians are coming across, and the waves are drowning all of them. And I think God uh, texted Moses at that point and uh, said, uh, "Why are you celebrating? My children are dying." Hmm. And uh, not that I feel a great deal of sympathy for for uh, Bin Laden, Bin Laden, but uh, you know, there's, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, it shows the system works, and it's the first sign I think that Obama's really at, at the wheel, and I'd like to see more of it. And not not just more killing bad guys, but I'd like to see, you know, I, I think that this was a good one. It's undeniable. Let me get your interesting mind on this one. You may be aware there was a federal election recently here in Canada, one that saw our right-wing conservative party reelected. Historic, uh, uh, so so they, they form a majority, but then a historic gain for the left-leaning New Democrats and a, and a colossal defeat for the centrist Liberal Party. So there's some conjecture that Canada may end up seeing a two-party system like the United States. Do you have any advice for us if that happens? Oh, my God. Yeah, I think that would be pretty damn bad. 
You do. I mean, I mean, oh yeah. I, I think. I think the very fact that uh, the very fact that the candidates can't think for themselves. I mean, in, in the field of just education alone, which is in America, you know, it's pathetic right now. I mean, the, the education and. Uh, what we really need to be doing is teaching kids how to think for themselves. So by having two parties, the Republicans will say, give the kid vouchers and give them vouchers. The Democrats, because they have teachers unions as a strong part of their party, will say no vouchers. And, and if you're a Republican that is against vouchers, you're dead meat. Mm. And if you're a Democrat, like I come from a Democratic background, but I say, I've seen this. I know what happens when you take kids out of the ghetto. If the kids are getting shot at on their way to school or they've all seen somebody get killed on the way to school when they're in fifth grade or third grade, and you can get, and, and they come from a, a home that just can't, you, you know, single parent home and so forth. If you can get kids out, I saw those three kids, this was 20 years ago, there were three kids from the ghetto were, went with their mother who was a maid in Chicago in this fancy suburb somewhere, and the lady of the house was kind of became friends with maids. They said, bring the kids, live here. And they did. It was Will Met or some fancy place. They got out of the ghetto, the three kids, and, and then it showed what happened to those kids. And uh, the girl, uh, the black girl from the ghetto, is valedictorian of the school. She's about the only black kid in the school. She's a valedictorian at the time. This was 50s, 60s. Yeah. Um, and and uh, the other boy is a, is an officer in the Navy, and the other one is a is like a world class of cellist. Or the, I mean, all three are winners. Had they stayed in the ghetto, that would have been okay. Very but hard your to point think. about the vouchers so is vouchers. that there's, that there's no you're, you don't you're, there's an intolerance towards uh, deviating from the party line. Is that what you mean? Oh, more than an intolerance, it's it's the party tells you what to think. That's what I'm saying. Hmm. And you think that that's because there's a two party system? Yeah, I mean, I think. And, and you know who would agree with me and against you on this one? George. Well, it's not against me. I'm not necessarily advocating for a two-party system. I'm just asking George you. fucking Washington. George? <laughs> George F. Washington. <laughs> George. Right. <laughs> he would agree with me. He, he despised the two-party systems. He did, he'd understand George why. George H. Bush. George <laughs> F. Washington. <laughs> he would probably love the moniker, too, that you've, you've got for him. No, he was a great one. He said common sense and common honesty. That's all we need, folks. I want, I want to uh, – first of all, I want to make sure we have enough time to hear you uh, play a song, which I'm, I'm thrilled you're going to do here in Studio Q. But you, you're involved in so many different things. Your website uh, suggests you've got a remarkable number of things coming up on your calendar. So, so give us a sense of, of – what what's on what's a top priority or what's amongst the priorities for kinky friedman right now the thing i'm excited about is a uh, tour of well i'm excited next week we're playing uh, or soon i don't know when with levon helm i think the uh, up at woodstock uh, for the midnight ramble that'll be i think it's may 14th sweet and i'm touring australia with van dyke parks who for those of you that uh, are ignorant of his talents have not had your hip card punched uh, he's the man who orchestrated the cello on the song Good Vibrations. So Van Dyke and I are doing 20 shows in Australia. And there's a play about me called Becoming Kinky, The World According to Kinky Freeman, which is extremely funny. And if it gets to New York, which it's got a shot, uh, it could become, you know, every 10 years, Texas hits again. There's a... Uh, Dallas, the TV show. Then there was Urban Cowboy. Then there was Best Little Whorehouse. And you're this Becoming time? Becoming Kinky could be the one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And uh, it's got a young kinky, middle-aged kinky, older kinky, and so forth. And then Willie and I are talking about a record of Willie doing my songs. Um, I'm working on a book with uh, your friend, uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Yes, my good friend. Uh, 
And I've asked him about this, your interview with him, you know, what you have. Yeah. And, uh-huh. and uh, what did he say? Well, he says it's a little thing. It's one of these little things that goes viral and that's a, it was just he was uh, early in the morning or whatever, you know, and it mm-hmm. didn't mean anything. And, and, and he likes Canadians and he has nothing against Canada and mm-hmm. nothing against you personally. And he just he uh, said that. I think you know. I'll, I'll have to follow up to make sure that, that <laughs> you might have to. Yeah, he, because he, he's he, certainly gone on all these late well, night shows you, and stuff and, and said and negative things about me. That you, I've never said anything negative about him ever. Here publicly, I've never said the one anything. thing with Billy, who's very smart and very gentle guy that I've seen. So is, I hear. But there's a little bit of sling blade back there. <laughs> you know, I mean, a little bit of sling blade. Just had. Just realize this: he's the first guy that ever wrote, directed, and starred in a movie. That didn't suck since Orson Welles and Citizen Kane. That's a long time between dreams. Well, that's uh, Warren Beatty's. You're breaking Warren Beatty's heart, by the way. <laughs> but uh, but but uh, I, listen. I think he's a talented guy. I so was. So what did ex- he say? You guys had a deal and you broke it or something like that? That's what he said. To which, by the way, his American publicist, the the day after this happened, said there was no deal. We don't do we don't do deals. We didn't have a deal with what All we're right. going to talk to you about. This is a, well. You, you and know, I had a deal, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you Texans. You wouldn't you're, talk about Obama, and you did. We don't, and I, you know, I don't. I don't know what happened. I don't know if he was just having a bad right. day. I don't well, know. He needs but, to be. I need to interrogate him. But a he hasn't bit. reached out to me. I'll tell been. you that. Yeah. Right. He will. Uh, will he? We've got a book coming out, of course. <laughs> well, All right. right. Well, the, well you bring not. him back here. I'm happy yeah. to talk to him again. You Very know. Definitely. Be interesting. <laughs> I, I, you know, when you were talking about all these things you're doing. Well, oh, there's the, one the, other thing. Can I interrupt go this ahead. thing for you? Because yeah. I can't hold ideas in my head. Right. Because, because you're somewhere between Medicare and no, not being able to. Libya and Charlie Sheen are right. taking up a lot of space. And I'm almost forgetting that. Now I've got it. Is uh, The one thing we're doing is we're finally. Now, I don't have email or any of that, so I'm not internet savvy. Uh, but we have made the books, and there's 31 of them now that I've churned out. I mean, carefully crafted. Mm. And uh, they're available through, you know, Amazon. But we're making them available as e-books and audio books read by the author. And uh, you just go to the website, kinkyfreeman.com, and they'll throw you to one of those things. You, you don't have email? No. No. <laughs> you and have a website. Here is a, I have people that do You this. have people who do that. Why don't you have that email? I trust, because I trust you. The, well, the e- email is like 1980s technology. As Barbara Jordan's grandfather, who ran a junkyard in Houston, once told her, love humanity, but don't trust them. But I trust <laughs> these people that do this. Right. And, and I don't trust the Internet, and I'll tell you why. Here's right. what I think it is. Yeah. You got a 57-year-old pedophile in New Jersey. He is pretending to be a 27-year-old surfer in San Diego. He contacts a 14-year-old kid in Montana who is really a middle-aged vice cop in Miami. Okay. That's the Internet. Well, no, it's not. That's one example of the That's internet. about bad side of the internet. That's the, the bad the side, side of the internet. Yeah, there's right? a lot of positive. That there's well, a po- there's the kind know. of movements that you're excited no, I know about what you're that saying. happen the on the internet. The thing right? that's really nice is we cut out the big-time big publishers. We cut out the chain record st- bookstores. That's that, too, that. sure. And that's really cool. And, and I'm enjoying that. I'm also enjoying reading these books that are older than some of the people downloading them. You know, the, 25 years ago, if you read the... Shit that you wrote forty five uh, twenty five years ago, and you could do it without slashing your wrists. But see, I can't remember how the mysteries ended anymore, so they they still hold up. Let me try this out on you before I get you to play a song. All right. 
uh, when you're talking about all these things, I mean, for, for God's sake, there's a, a play being written about you. You're doing, you're doing this with a big book. There's you're too doing, much. I can't. Doing, you, but, Willie but Nelson's going to do a tribute record old. for you. But I'm old. But, but the thing is, is you're the guy longer. who was the fringe guy. Dare I say, is it possible that Kinky Friedman is mainstream now? I see you on CNN. I see you. You're, you know, you've got these tribute stuff. You got all these people talking about you. How would you feel about being character, characterized as mainstream? I wouldn't like it. I, I think uh, mainstream is usually toxic. I think if it ain't broke, break it. You know, I mean, work with the. Uh, I mean, I think Bob Dylan's the one who said that, that art should not reflect culture. Art should subvert it, culture. And if he didn't say it, it's a good thing to say. I mean, an artist. Is someone I've always felt who is uh, ahead of his time and behind in his rent, you know, and <laughs> and being an artist is a is a beautiful thing. And being an artist is not. I think Bukowski is the one who said that uh, what happens to an artist is up to his luck. You know, if if you have good luck, you're going to be a bad artist, Gian. But and if you have but, bad luck, you'll be a good artist. But the the, pre- the presupposition is that you can't be uh, an artist if you're mainstream. You can be, but let me give I was the, talking about you being mainstream, you and you went on about being well, an artist. Well, no, I don't think I'm mainstream. I'm not. What are you trying to do? Uh, pump up my testicles with uh, some, uh, you know, that I'm mainstream? Yeah, no, Barry Manilow is mainstream, okay? You think I'm Barry Manilow? <laughs> no, I mean, nor am I trying to pump up your testicles. Either. All right, now, Barry Manilow is a great example of a guy who is mainstream, who makes more money than God, and who writes these little songs that make us feel good for a short period of time. Mm. Now you look at... A guy like Merle Haggard or, or maybe Christopherson or Willie or Bob, now they write songs that might, that might make you think and that might last a lifetime, and that's what I strive to do. I can't – sometimes when you're talking, I can't tell if you're being serious or not. You started the conversation saying you wanted to talk about two things, Libya and Charlie Sheen, that's in right. case you were being serious. We talked a little bit about Libya. What did you want to say about Charlie Sheen? Well, I haven't been following the uh, – what has happened? Is he kind of uh, – the public has completely lost interest in it now. That's what it looks like. That, uh, the tour is kind of yeah. fizzling. That the warlock is – you know, did you really want to say something about him? Well, I, I, I like where he's coming from. Uh, I've always said, find what you like and let it kill you. And I think Charlie may be doing that. Hmm. And uh, and what, very, what's really a offensive? Somber all these, message. No, all these guys that are the, the addiction experts. You know, I mean, those those are really ridiculous. You think? So, I think so. Yeah. But um, what were we talking about before Charlie Sheen and Libya? When we were talking about you being mainstream. Yeah, I mean, that's I'd like to. I'd enjoy being mainstream for just a little while. <laughs> you know, but um, I mean, there's a there's a role to be played. There's. Um, everybody can't be Elvis and Bob Dylan and Willie and these good, you know, but, um, but I'm a, you know, I mean, I have my last will and testament already worked out. I think you do know this, that, I mean, I'm quite a bit older than you. You could be my son, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm an old guy now. I mean, I, I don't want to but dwell you're on not. You're, no, you're, I'm you're not. I, I I'm not. But I, but as you said, middle sixties, mid sixties. Mid sixties. Yes, you're mid sixties. So, uh, so uh, what I've done is I got this last will and testament. When I die, I'm to be cremated, and my ashes are to be thrown in Governor Rick Perry's hair. So we've got that worked out. And uh, right, Sam Houston was saying, find out what you love, and then find kill what yourself. you love, and let it kill you, and let it kill you. Yeah. yeah. Do you really believe that? Uh, you say these yeah. things. No, no, that's very good advice. Of course, I do. Find what you like, and let it kill you. Yeah. I mean, because. 
I mean, don't be caught up. That's all that means is if you love, you know, what you're doing, do this stuff. If you love gambling, be a gambler. I mean, whatever it's going to be, be an artist. You don't have to be an mm-hmm. architect or, a, I mean, I mean, you know, like uh, Herman Melville said, uh, uh, keep true to the dreams of thy youth. And if you love alcohol or if you love, yeah, let it kill you. Yeah, if you like Mexican mouthwash, drink it. You know, I mean, uh, tequila is very good for you. Um, <laughs> smoking cigars. I'll give you an you example. Got your of, cigar with here's you. What yeah. the yeah. Here's what the politicians have done to America. They've got these smoking bans everywhere you look, and yeah. I'm sure you guys are doing them too, following <laughs> along, following your little American friend uh, with these smoking bans, which are un-American and ridiculous. And uh, so now they're moving people around. I've been stopped by cops several times for Smoking a cigar, which I don't even smoke it. I'm in a supermarket. It's an oral fixation. I've got. I do smoke it when America lets me. Right. All right. So I just want to say this. Lance Armstrong and some who is a friend. He but he often says, "Kinky, we're doing this for your health. Don't you understand why we're doing this smoking ban?" Mm-hmm. And I admire him. He overcame some some big things. Sure. But um, I always like to point out that uh, the countries of Israel, Japan. Spain, Portugal, France, Greece, and Italy. There you go. Seven of them. Mm -hmm. Seven countries all have uh, higher smoking per capita, quite a bit, in fact, than the United States. Every one of those countries has longer life expectancy than the United States. So the only thing we can conclude is that speaking English is killing us. (laughs) Right. The only thing we can conclude. well, I know that uh, you're the second person in a couple of months who's, who's subtly made the case that uh, smoking is not bad for you. Uh, no, Fran, Fran Leibowitz being the, the smoking other. cigars. Smoking cigars is not bad for you. Yeah, smoking right. cigars. But you don't you don't think there should be a smoking ban in general? No, you don't see any old guys smoking cigarettes. You see a lot of them smoking cigars. Mm. No, no, I really don't think there should. And uh, and about you know what you were talking earlier about kinky being going mainstream. You know, I think. Uh, I think if you fail at something long enough, uh, you become a legend. <laughs> On that note, what are you going to play for us? Well, I was going to play the one you you played, but that's a thoughtful selection on your part. I'll play uh, How About Ride'em Jew Boy, because as we know in Texas, people pronounce the word Jewish with one syllable. He's Jewish. <laughs> Jewish. And they pronounce Jew with about ten syllables, like, she married a G. <laughs> so... Um, so this was that what inspired this Boy song? Is a, this is a song that Willie has recorded and that Bob Dylan uh, is very fond of. It's, I think, one of the first times I met him. It was at this party in L.A. That, and, I mean, a little weird party out at Roger McGuinn's house out there in Malibu. And the first time I'd been around these kind of people. And right. Bob was singing Rodham Jew Boy. I mean, he was he was walking on his knuckles. He was completely in the kitchen there. <laughs> and uh, so the song is... The song is a Western translation of an Eastern experience. It's obviously about the Holocaust. Christians feel more comfortable with it than Jews, I think. And Christians, uh, I like Christians. Um, Okay. All right. Well, head on over there. Uh, American musician, humorist, writer, activist, legend, politician, Kinky Friedman. He's going to play the song Ride 'em Jew Boy. Uh, And we'll just get you set up and and you let us know when you're ready there. Yes, Billy Bob is not here. So, you're gonna, you're gonna, uh, you're gonna unite myself and Billy Bob. Well, I, I'm open to that. You know. Woo-hoo. 
Ride, ride them, Jew boy. Ride them all around the old corral. I'm, I'm with you, boy. If I've got to ride six million miles, now the smoke from camps arising. See the helpless creatures on their way. Hey, old pal, ain't it surprising how far you can go before you stay? And don't you let the morning blind you when on your sleeve you wore the yellow star. Old memories still live behind you. Can't you see by your outfit who you are? How long will you be driven relentless round the world? The blood in the rhythm of the soul. Wild ponies all. Your dreams were broken, rounded up and made to move along. The loneliness, which can't be spoken, just swings a rope and rides inside a song. And dead limbs play with ringless fingers. A melody which burns you deep inside. Oh, how the song becomes the singer's. May peace be ever with you as you ride. How long will you be driven relentless round the world? The blood in the rhythm. Other souls in the wind, no candles glowing, remind you that today you are a child. The road ahead, forever rolling, and anything worth crying can be smiled. So ride, ride 'em, Jew boy. Ride 'em all around the old corral. I'm, I'm with you, boy. If I've got to ride six million miles.
a really moving song, man. Thank you very much, and may the God of your choice bless you. I thank you very much for being here. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Gene. It was great. And my apologies to Obama and Barry Manilow, who I really have nothing <laughs> still feeling bad about that, huh? I've got a lot against you, Gene. <laughs> American musician, humorist, writer, activist, politician, Kinky Friedman. He's always got a lot going on. You can find out the details at his website, kinkyfriedman.com. He's been with me here live in Studio Q.